0: Welcome to the Far Post Footy Podcast. My name is John Townsend, and today's episode is a special one. Uh, sometimes you really get lucky with who you can talk to, and today I had the, the honor of talking to Terry Mickler, the legendary figure in St. Louis soccer and American soccer, and his friend and partner with the Dutch Touch Experience, Jan Proin, who has experience working with Ajax amongst other clubs in Holland. And these two gentlemen shared... Tons of information, tons of coaching points, and great theories about how to develop better players, how to put on a stellar product when they do their own uh, Dutch Touch Camps. And I just was honored to be part of it. And I think you're going to enjoy listening, and I hope you learn a lot along the way as well. So here it is. Okay, so the, the first topic of conversation is... How did you two meet? And I know this has been heavily uh, documented, but I want to start fresh. So Jan, I'll ask you first. um, How did you meet Terry and and what was that first interaction like uh, all those years ago?
1: I do not know exactly when I met Terry first, but I remember that it was mid-90s, maybe 95, 96, 97, again, I didn't check uh, that uh, Terry was part of a coaching course that I conducted together with uh, Bram Bram, those days uh, a soccer coach that I worked with in different uh, foreign countries already, and we were conducting a a coaching course for, I think, eight or nine coaches that uh, were signed up or sent by uh, the uh, NSCAA to come for... uh, For a course to Holland to learn about the Dutch vision. And uh, as always, uh, we exchange uh, info, mobile number, um, email addresses, and and that's the way it started.
0: And Terry, your interest in Dutch football and Holland and all those wonderful eras of Dutch football took you over there, but when did your initial interest in going over there physically? Uh... Oh,
2: I first got interested in uh, Dutch with the 1974 World Cup. <laughs> That's when I got when the hook really set. And I think the whole world was you know, interested in Dutch football at the time. And I, I had uh, subscribed to or made, made sure that I always got a copy of World Soccer magazine, which, which was a little bit hard to come by back in those days. Mm-hmm. But they always featured, you know, the current trends in soccer and the big names and the big teams and the big games. And Kroijs and the Dutch were always part of that, big-time part of that.
0: So what was it that of that era that attracted you to this? Was it the style of play? Was it the characters on the field? Was it the the both of it? Was it the way they played against different opponents? You know, I
2: think it was just how dominating they were in, in how they played. You know, now I can use the terms fluid and dynamic. Back then I, I wouldn't have known those terms but their style of play was just such, it was so attractive, you know, they seemed to just own the game, you know, they were so skillful and, and they interacted so well. And uh, it, it was just like a, a work of art to see it play, you know, and, and how long they go, soccer, is it science or is it art? Well, it's more art than science, right? Now, let, me, let me back up one quick moment on, on meeting Jan because that was an interesting deal, uh, 97, 1997, I uh, had a chance to go to Holland through the NSCAA to, to do a 10 day coaching symposium. And I think of the 10 people that were there, uh, Kenny was there from Jamaica and uh, Miriam was there from Holland. I think the rest of the people, I think were from the States by and large, yeah. So there were 10 of us and then Jan and his, his partner, Brown. And, and so it was co-sponsored by NSCAA and KMBB and it was a 10-day symposium, and uh, it was the most eye-opening experience that I've had in my soccer life by far. And credit to both Jan and Bram for, for their expertise, but they were part of the KNVB then, and they had access to any place that anybody that we needed to see or be or talk to or whatever. We were totally in, in, emulsed into Dutch soccer. It was just this experience all to itself, you know, it was unbelievable. And then then the coincidence, that was 97. Lost track of each other. And in 2002, in Baltimore, I went to the NICA National Convention and happened to run into Bob, one of the guys in our class, coming coming and going into the the men's room. And I took a double take. I didn't see Bob's from Pennsylvania. I haven't seen him since the class. And I do a double take and I shout out, Bob, is that you? And he goes, yeah, that's me. So we talked, and I said, uh, hey, just by chance, have you uh, you had any contact with Jan? He goes, he's here, at the convention. I go, oh my gosh. So I didn't find him at the convention, but Bob gave me his his business card, Jan's card. So I emailed Jan and I said, you may or may not remember me I was in the course, blah, 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 anyway. Bob said you were here, and just wanted to get get back in touch with you. So that was 2002, and would you come over in 2006 to do the Pro Power Camp with uh, Kevin Kalish? And in 2007, we started Touch Touch. Yeah. A, little bit, a little bit by chance that
0: Bob and I ran into each other. <laughs> that's, that's the world these days is everything seems to be, you know, opportunity. and So let's talk about, go back a, a little bit, and Jan, you, this is more for you, uh, the eagerness of Terry and, and the, the American coaches and the coaches that are visiting Holland to learn. What did you think of their energy and, and their their view of the game as compared to Dutch coaches that you work with normally. So, did they were they just full of questions? Were they more observant? Do you remember?
1: Full of questions, but at the same time, very, uh, yeah, interested in 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 all the different aspects of the game. I always say they are asking sometimes maybe too much about tactics, uh, as they can uh, realize what tactics exactly means and how they could deal with tactics in their own individual situations towards their own level of groups. But now, from the first moment on, as I have a history with the American uh, situation and and soccer uh, at grassroots level, as I'm uh, already involved in uh, running, not running, being part of soccer camps since 1983. So that was, I think, 15 years before uh, Terry finally came into Holland so in those 15 years I, I learned, I, I, I met a lot of different level of soccer coaches that were all running uh, their, their soccer camps, but that was more, uh, let's say, business or money related. But at the same time I saw the, the, the soccer coaches improving the local ones in a certain way, in the connections that they had already in the years, that English and American, sorry, Dutch and and German coaches came over to be part of the soccer camps. But there was always for me, and that was the starting point, that I'm still in America in the summer in in running now my own camps. That I I was very pleased with the with the the interest of becoming a better coach and knowing we don't have the history. You are from Holland in this situation. Holland did very well, 78, 74. We like to learn. We like to to get better. You can help us.
0: Right. And so with your history of of soccer camps and getting players together from going different locations, how did Dutch Touch become what it is? How, How did this start? What was the the genesis or the start of of the Dutch Touch and the project and then the vision?
1: No, the the, the thing was, first, if you are, I think, uh, almost uh, 25 years part of uh, being part of soccer camps and you are always very nice, uh, call it rewarded for that. And and you are invited by by Terry, first of all, that I still remembered from the the year that he was in in Holland. And he he asked me if I could be running a soccer camp in St. Louis, and, and I did. But after one week, I knew already that this is not the way to run a soccer camp in my way. And we discussed a little the different opportunity to do it ourselves the next year. One of the main things we were discussing is how about bringing in Dutch players, you know, if you do it in a certain way in another way and you think you can do it better, our first idea is if you have decent young players that like to be part of a camp, they can be at the same time being a reflection or a first good recognition, this is an average player playing in Holland in in a decent youth league. What does that mean? And then players will look up to it, coaches have a first recognition, local ones. So that was the idea, we do it next year, but part of our new organisation, what we call straight away then Dutch, and it must be a touch with the Dutch uh, connection, we do it by bringing in players from Holland, being part of the camp. And I think that was for us not an eye-opener, but a key factor to go that way.
2: (coughs) I think, uh, as I remember it, after the, the week that uh, Jan was the, was the the guest director for ProPower, <clears throat> my brother Tom, who runs New Dimensions Grassroots Program in St. Louis that serves works with the underserved, Tom and Jan and I met in the CBC press box after the week of camp and just kind of started brainstorming a little bit. And and Jan thought that with his contacts, and he had contacts that, that extended to uh, California, Boston, Canada, Japan, Holland, Germany, and, and America, that, uh, and then we had St. Louis kids, that we could put together a, kind of an international camp. The first plan, if you remember this, Jan, you proposed that you thought you could bring 10 or 12 kids over from all of those different places, and it would be a real international camp. Uh, but it was unfortunate at the same time there was the incident at Virginia Tech University where there was on-campus shooting, and that, uh, that ended the Japanese coming over and, and just about everybody else. So we was the first year of camp in, in 2007, we had 72 kids in camp. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you brought over 12 or 14 Dutch players, one of which at the time was a very small little player, Tom Menting, uh, who the Dutch coaches, Harry and Theo, had already said, this kid, watch this kid, he's, he's the future. You know, he, he's going to be a good player. And we had uh, the Vanderlaan twin, it's uh, Michelle and, and uh, Jordy. Michelle's playing professional women's soccer in Holland. Tom got to the ranks of, uh, to the Air Divisie with the Graf um uh, Played in the Dutch Cup in, I- in Amsterdam against IX, Still playing now, it's still in his early 20s. So it was a pretty good group that, that first came over, you know, back in 72. or uh, uh, The 72 that came over in 207. And then we were, Fortunate that we were able to keep bringing Dutch kids over for the next five or six years and That impacted the camp because you know our kids could look at what a Dutch player looked like how they trained how they played You know and and uh, and, and give them some encouragement that you know what this is what I could be if I work harder at it So that was that was really huge when we were bringing the Dutch kids in
0: so when did it evolve into bringing a Dutch coaching staff in as well. is that always the case? It was initially, is... yeah, because okay. the
2: first year it was a small group of staff, a small group of kids, 72. And Jan brought in two of his senior coaches, I, I call them senior, Harry Janssen and Theo Dirks, and they were both 60s and 70s at the time.
1: 65, retired, just retired from their uh, normal job they had outside the soccer, but they were still working for Dutch FA. They're foreign coaching educators. You know, they went to Costa Rica. They went to Kenya. They went to the to the locations where not everyone did like to go. Something like that. Or so that
2: was our first group. It was just a small group of Dutch coaches. Uh, and then that grew every year. Now we're up to where we've got five Dutch coaches pretty regularly coming to camps and stuff. And that was the attraction, was that if it was going to be Dutch-Touch, it had to be Dutch. You know, there had to be an element of Dutch in it and we were able to lay out with the kids in the camp in the campus players and
0: as the coaches, and Jan as a director. So one thing that I've always talked about, and with you, Terry, and, and Jan as well, is you can't copy culture, you have to create it, but bringing that Dutch culture to the States, to St. Louis, what has that done over the years, and what did it do initially for the learning and the, the overall experience for the players, the parents, Everyone involved bringing that culture here?
2: Well, that's a good question. Part of the answer, part of the answer, I think it's going to be a roundabout way to answer the question. But uh, when Jan brought those kids over, our families housed them. And I remember Jan saying at the time, This is incredible. This our, our would never happen in Holland. We could never bring kids over and then they would go into the Dutch families. Remember that, Jan? And so you know, that spring, the following spring, we took our first trip to Holland. We took 18. People were in the trip, 10 players, and we were housed in the families of that, that, uh, the kids that came over. So I, I think you know, right away there was a cultural exchange. you know, And from a soccer point of view, it was like, okay, what is it about this kid that's my age that's different? Why, how is he different than me? And when you go over there and you experience it, you see the training and you see the development and you see the process. And you just see the lifestyle. And, and it all comes together, I and mean, the picture gets pretty clear once you put all that together. And until you have that to look at, you're looking at the same picture, which, which we see every day, which is which is our our style, okay? Right or wrong, good or bad, it's our style. And when you don't have anything to compare it to, well, it's the best style that you know. So as soon as you bring something else over that's different, you can look at it, and now you can compare yours and see where you're at. I think that was the biggest thing that everybody took out of it was there, there can be a difference between this kid and that kid at the same age if the process works in a, in a different way.
0: Jan, what do you think? Do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yes, I think we can make a difference only maybe then in the week or the two weeks or the three weeks now that we are running camps, but no one, except maybe some, they joined the camp for, for two weeks. Uh, but I always say, and, and that's, I think where, that's what I learned at Ajax the time that I was there, we have an idea. What we try to teach is, if if you train, you you must think a little bit. You don't you 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 don't go through the motions. Everything in what we are doing, we have a specific reason. It, it's it's in that way uh, age related and all that type of specific details. Uh, maybe uh, more uh, coming to that, and and that's what I, I still. Feel as a weakness in in the in the youth development or in the youth structure or the youth soccer uh, environment in in America. They they do too much on call it yeah uh, something what 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 by day uh, change. I mean there is no structure from youngs up to the top youth team going into a senior team, what is in Holland, what is in Europe, more and more uh, becoming a quality from uh, what professional level connects uh, youth development with. And and in that way, I think still Holland is is for that reason the leading uh, country towards the ID behind if he talks on 74 and talks 78 I think Rinus Meagles those days the the, the master with to was Cruyff together uh, on that success he was the one that created then from total soccer a certain a certain uh, vision within the Dutch Ave that was then put into the coach's education and that's why, Everyone is now a little running their own FAs in this way. You you know, US soccer is now, I think, in the coaches' education, managed and directed by Dutch people. So, back to your question, I think one of our strengths is we make a difference in a very short while, a week only, but everything what we are doing on the ground from Monday, late afternoon till Friday, early afternoon, is... Think about it, go out, try it, and let's see if it works.
0: It's so much of. Uh go there.
2: Yeah, w- one disappointment that I have over the years, <clears throat> and we've tried this on a number of occasions, we can't uh, get any local coaches involved in coming around to observe. You know, we've offered coaching uh, education opportunities through our camp. Uh, we, we've made it known, you know, coaches are welcome to come out to to the sessions and observe you know but the American coach just seems to be a little bit too close-minded to it you know and it's really disappointing because you can only take the kids so far in a week you know and then you turn them loose and where do they go what do they do after that they go back into the routines that they're used to you know if the, if the coaches would come and observe and pay attention to and, and understand not just the, watch the drill but understand the drill and what's going on in the drill, and then kind of recreate in their own way those same kind of activities, then, then it's an ongoing process. So within the last couple, two or three years, we started a, 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 a touch, touch soccer school. And on Sundays in the offseason, September through February, you know, we have a one-day one session, uh, two, two different uh, periods of time where they have 90 minutes of training, two different age groups, just to try to keep the kids involved, you know. But it's the coaches that really make a difference, and for me, that's what I see. One of the big differences that the Dutch have over us is that their their level and involvement in coaching education and their importance they put on is extremely high. I came back with three terms from from Holland from my experience there in the coaching course, and that was structure, which includes organization, which is monumentally key, and the second one was was uh, level. It's very important that you put players in the right level so that they play with and against comparable players. So the better players are with and against the better players and the lower players are with and against the lower players. And the third purpose, the third word was aim. What's the purpose, what's the aim of what you're doing? Every activity has to have an aim and, some, and many of them have a secondary aim. So you're playing a possession game when the defending team wins the ball, is the, is the, is the drill over or do they have an aim too? You know, when you win a ball in a game, does it end just because you win the ball or do you have an opportunity to use the ball and play out? And we get sometimes too carried away in one thing without realizing one thing is only part of another thing, and they're both part of the big thing. So until we get to the point where we see the whole picture and then can break it down and then build it back up again, we're we're still going to be missing, missing the connections.
0: There's two points that I want to touch on, and one is a term that you've told me for years, Terry, and Jan, you will agree, I think, is attention to detail, and the phrase you use is the smallest things make the biggest differences. And the other point, and we can talk about that a bit, but the other point was when you went to Holland and when I went as a, as a youngster, the transparency is so different than what we get in the States. Here, everyone is guarded and closed, and they're, we use terms like my players and my team and my sessions. And abroad, it seems, it's more of an open book, more of an experience. And so we can either touch on those points, or we can talk about your, your last point about there has to be a purpose, training with a purpose, playing with a purpose, um, how does that factor into your coaching with Dutch Touch and even just your, your own philosophy, um, both, of you, both of you gentlemen, um, going forward?
2: Well, it's shaped me. Since I since was ordered in 97, I've, I've made every attempt that I can to be more more in that line. okay So my philosophy of coaching at, at CBC or anywhere else that I would coach is – is to be as close to doing it in the Dutch way as possible. And, you know, what does that mean? Well, that means that you have to build up a a skill set so that you can use your skills to to solve the problem that you recognize in the game. You have to identify a problem, then you have to be able to solve it, and you do that through skill and through teammates, you know? Um, So in order to do that, you have to train. You have to train in as many ways as possible that recreate those kinds of game situations. So that's where small-sided games become so important, because the small-sided game can be created and adapted and changed in many different ways with different conditions. So whatever you want to emphasize, if it's a passing, it's a dribbling, a shooting, whatever, whatever concept you want, whatever technique you want, it can be brought into a small-sided game and played accordingly and rewarded that way. You know, so yeah, for me, it's been huge, for huge, and I, and I think the effect that it's had on my teams has been positive. I think overall, uh, we might, I like to think we play a little differently. And, you know, at least attempt to play a little differently. And uh, I think it's
1: because of the training that we do, and the, re- and the way we train, and why we train
0: the way we do, it makes a difference. Jan,
1: do you have anything to add to that? Not, not specific to this, because I think uh, that is all clear, and I, I can only say I agree and I, I recognize with with Terry, uh, maybe not knowing too much his 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 games by watching it, uh, but results in a certain way. Uh, Means something uh, that he is on the right track, and I think I have here two or three other examples, like Tim Cashel as another one that was an already two or three times, and is a big, uh, big uh, follower from the Dutch vision, and he understands what it means if you talk in details, and he he understands, he recognizes, and he can put it in his level as a coach into the level that he is working with. So um, that's that's clear. More important is what you just mentioned in in talking. What is here too much? It's my team. It is my decision. It's my result. You know, I think that is one of the weak, other issues towards use development here. You 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 follow a team or. Sometimes in the worst scenario, you take a team out of a club and you bring them to another club as you are not happy with a certain a certain policy or a certain whatever issue is is becoming a problem in your environment. In Holland, it is it is uh, impossible. That's one. But more important, I mean, if you talk then on Ajax, I had the pleasure, and 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 uh, how you, you explain that the. The advantage of uh, not only the pleasure but the the benefit to work there four years, and I still remember one day I didn't play at Ajax. I'm not not coming out of Amsterdam. I came from the east, but was brought in by Hans Westerhoff that knew me from Dutch FA and coaching education. I had one time as just one of the the employees, a, a, a manager, international, user, development, the the the. The, the right moment to sit in one meeting with with Co Adrians, the head of academy as well, Johan Cruyff, that had a night to spend with all the the coaches from the academy and all the other technical people to discuss a way to go forward. Where Adrians put his 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 vision on, where Cruyff added something what was maybe not good or whatever he he brought into the meeting, and they were asking. All the people that were attending that meeting on their personal opinion. I'm, I'm sh- saying with this is that a top club like Ajax, that had a history, that everything, their biggest thing was you are part of a technical team, you're part of an academy, please tell me your opinion, tell me your thoughts, and we can see if it works. You know, one of the things that I learned and experienced there every Monday. Coaches were sitting in one dressing room and they were discussing their opinion about how they analysed, how they saw the game from another coach. So that was early 2000 and I think it's still the days that certain things are changed at Ajax. But I think, and, and Ajax is the best example at the highest level, but in Holland it's very clear and simple to that that you're part of a coaching group. Towards saying certain things in the whole youth structure, and and again, I think that is here too much a more individual way that everyone goes his own way and they don't care about what came after or what is coming next year to you. That is that is I think something that I like to add in the in, in the transparency and in detail. Yeah, I think that is something. That makes our Dutch touch uh, thing very different, because I think it's, it's very important and a player must recognise it makes a difference if you play the ball to his right foot or to his left foot in relation to a certain direction where the player must go to. I'm talking just on the, on the foot, but that's the same over a distance of a pass or other things that we put in place if it comes to details.
2: Boy, that just stimulated a whole lot of thoughts in my head. Uh, yeah, great job, a lot of points you brought up there. But th- for me, the biggest resistance point is, is the attention to detail, because our kids are so programmed to just do it and don't pay any attention to how. And, and part of that is responsible, and not part, mostly the responsibility of the coach to have a, have a, a, an eye, a critical eye, for what's going on, number one. First of all, they should know what it, what it should look like. That's a starting point. What should it look like? this activity that you're doing, whether it's technical or tactical, whatever, what should it look like? And then secondly, what are you seeing? And then thirdly, how close is it to what, what it should be? And if it's not very close, can you correct it? Where do, can you break it down and identify where it's, where it's going wrong and correct it? Well, the, one of the first things I look at when I watch kids play and they're doing passing drills, I, I look at their foot, I look at their passing foot. And when I see a kid with his passing foot with the toe pointed down, I'm right away saying that kid needs some help because he's gonna miss more passes than make. Because until you raise, the, when you raise that toe higher than your heel, then you got a better surface area to contact the ball in the pass. It'll make more better passes than you will if your foot's down. It's a critical little thing, but I see so many kids that don't do that. And second point is when you see kids turning away from the, the play and turning their back to the, to the play, it's like I didn't know they all had eyes in the back of their head. How are they gonna see the ball? You know, Little things, they're critical but they have never been told before. So I tell my guys, hey, you got a three-week grace period here because nothing's gonna change for you in three weeks, but after three weeks, you better start getting used to my way of doing it. Um, and I'll help you with it, I'll point it out to you, but then it's on you to, to work to change. So attention to detail is huge. And just as John said a minute ago, it's a matter of the right pass to the right foot at the right time at the right pace. And the reason is, why? What's the reason for it? There's a reason for it. Every time you do it right, it sets up the next play. It makes that play easier and sets up the next play. So the higher level you play, the economy of time and space becomes more critical. You don't have it, so you gotta create it. So if you have to, and this was very apparent in our trip to Holland uh, last spring. Our kids would stop the ball while they're standing, waiting for it. So you got that, stop it while they're standing and waiting. Then they would re- try to reposition it. Then they would look for an option, and then they would try to pass, and by the they have already eaten the ball a long time ago. The Dutch kids would not stand to wait. They would meet the ball, they would ask for the ball, open up, go to the ball, receive, position, turn the ball all in one sequence, have an idea of the play, and then make the play. They're three steps ahead of us on both sides of the ball. And how do they get that way? At 12, 13, 14 years old, they do that because at eight, nine, and 10. They're already learning those techniques. And as far as the coaching status, I always say this, a lot of times I I see coaches that just make it so difficult to understand because I think they take the idea that if, if I can say this in a way that you don't understand it, then I'm so much more superior to you because only I understand it and you don't. And I think, you know, Christ says the hardest thing to do is to make something simple we do our best to make it more complicated you know instead of breaking it down to where it's simple and i tell a lot of coaches you know here's what you need to do blah 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 and they go that's all there is to it and i go yeah that's all there is to it there's not a b c d through z no this is it do this do it right and you'll be fine you'll be a good starting point right but we have to always have more more isn't always better went to a clinic years ago Dutch coach was conducting it and his topic was about playing in the right moment and he started off with a two versus zero drill and he did about a half a field drill, two versus zero to a goal. Okay. What can go wrong there? Right? Well, he pointed out a whole lot of things that went wrong, (laughs) you know, passes were just erratic and, and why constantly asking the question, why, why this, why that, why now, why not then, why this, you know, with no opposition. And then finally, it all kind then he started building it up. And then as he did it, and the nice thing about the Dutch approach is once you identify and break it down and start to build it back up again, you start seeing it working. It works. But you've got to have people that are in position that are observing it correctly to make it work. You know, I have an expression I use with my kids that habits don't know good from bad. And if, if somebody doesn't step in, you can get real good at being bad. If you get, if you get a bad habit down really good, it's not going to help you. But somebody's got to stop and say, hey, that's not right. Here's a better way of doing it. One more thing, and I know that it, it, when we go to holiday if a kid leaves a team, or if the family moves from one location to another in the country and signs up for another team, chances are when he joins that new team, he won't really be missing out on much of anything because the coaching education at that level will be consistent from A to B to Z throughout the country. Jan said it very well. Here, you know, coaches don't know what, to, what they're getting from the year before. They don't know what the kid's supposed to be like the year he leaves. And, you know, the system in Holland is so regimented that it's an educational program through soccer. They call it soccer education. And uh, I met an IX coach through Jan over there a few years ago, Patrick Lathru, who was with the youth program for IX for about 20 years. And I don't think he ever got higher than the age 11. And they didn't want to. He was like the director for the under 11s. And mostly it was with the 9 and the 10s. And imagine how much you know of that kid as a person, as a player, their mental makeup, emotional makeup, physical makeup. You know them like a book. You know exactly what they can do and can't do. And unfortunately in the state, sometimes coaches go see a, a game or watch a drill from a really good team and they think that anybody can do it. And the kids that they're dealing with aren't nowhere near ready to do it, physically or mentally or technically or anything else. But they throw it on the kid and it doesn't work. They don't know why. They're not ready for it, that's why, you know? So those are just some of my random thoughts that I want to put together because you, you stimulated a whole lot of thought. But the biggest thing for me is you gotta always ask and answer that question, why? Why are you doing this? And in Holland, why is a good question. Coach, players can question coaches. And here, that's not, not a nice thing to do to question a coach, coaches have that position where they're elevated but kids over here can ask why you know and a coach will probably say well I'm not so sure can you tell me why and then all of a sudden you start to stimulate the soccer brain our kids want answers their coaches over there ask the kids for the answers
0: it, it it's demonstrates to me the clear difference between an education and a certification I think here we hand out certifications guising it as education um, and I think a, a robust education the pedagogy of it all is more it's it's more clear in, in Holland and in in, in Europe and in a lot of good countries. Let me let me transition a bit. Let's talk about bringing Dutch training to our young players. Now you talked about a lot of things that they do well in Holland and a lot of things that we know we could do better with our, our young players here. But what I've seen is over the life of a of a week camp, a week's worth of camp, I've seen players evolve from Monday to Friday. So it doesn't take long to implement the simple things well what do you find uh is the value um from the simplest level of bringing that dutch mentality attention to detail from the uniform they wear to the cones and the grids are set up the balls are inflated everything is set up so when the whistle blows or time is up everything is maximized is to me that's a culture shock to american players Um, and Jan, Jan and Terry, you both should definitely talk about this, because I think that, that bringing the Dutch training to our young players is it, it's an education in and of itself.
2: Totally. <clears throat> there's no, uh, pardon my French here, but there's no grab that goes on in the, in the training activities. And <clears throat> The Dutch always question, why are you guys train so long in America? Why do you train for two hours? You know, and, and you say, well, that's what it takes. Well, when you throw out all the breaks that we take and all the waste of time and all the standing in line, it takes two hours to, to get a little bit done. Where over there, they don't have all that distraction. You know, when you watch our drill, if you watch the set up a drill, you're always the next guy ready to do the drill again. There, you know, you get physically and mentally challenged to always be ready to play. And if you start that, if you think about it, if you start that when you're starting soccer, at eight, nine, and 10 years old, when you're 12, 13, and 14, that's all you know. You don't question it, you're ready for it. Harry did a drill years ago, and I always talk, talk about this. We did a four-player drill, and they was set up basically across the width of the field, and two players were paired up in twos, and one player was like five to seven yards away from the other. <clears throat> the back player started with a pass up, and that player laid it off, and the other player drove it across the field, and the same thing repeated itself over there, back and forth, 45 minutes of it. And the American players were where ready to check the box after five minutes. Dutch players were going strong all the way through. Attention to detail, little things. You know, Harry would stop it. Right fast, right foot, right moment, you know, right pace. All the little things that, that make the differences, you know. And we just, we just neglected so much. You can't fault the kids. Because they, until they're presented it, you know, it's not their fault. Coaches have to present that. But when they do present it, these kids are 10, 12, 11, 12 years of age, they're like sponges. They eat it up. They want it. Okay, They want it as much as they can get it. And that's the golden age of learning, up to about 12. So the more you give it to them then, the better off it's going to be, but it has to be reinforced. That's where we lose it. What we can do in a week is only good for a week. And I tell them at the end of the camp on Friday, camp ends, but your process, the learning process doesn't take this with you and keep improving, keep working. And that's the that's the difference, you know. What do they go back to? You know, what do they come back to us like? There's there's a gap.
1: There's a gap. I think um, if 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 I listen to this, uh, one of the things, as Terry mentioned already, we are very organized. I've seen too many here running training sessions without cones, just doing a drill. I don't know what they put out on, but I'm I'm thinking. Uh, A session starts with a certain recognition of space, of a certain routine, a pattern. If you put cones out and you you run from this to that cone, the ball is coming from this cone. You can say, and and that was in in the years that I was there at Ajax, that they were saying they are developing robots in a term that Ajax was 4-3-3 system and every player knew exactly what to do as a right fullback in that in that situation that was those years something but if you are inside the development you you experience that the overall uh, creativity that all or almost the players all the players had that All the drills they did in passing and in tactical uh, instruction was more to become a a much uh, better player in in both aspects. First of all, technical and tactical as well in the mental aspects as there was some pressure. But back to the situation here, so that's what I learned, you know, you have to work with different spaces, in tactical games. I, I had last week the best example in playing, call it a very favorite um, American game 3v3. The only thing what I, I did, and that's I, I said it for a reason to the coaches, I, I played it in two different spaces. One goal thirty-two yards from each other, so almost double the 18 yards, and one uh, field where the goals were very narrow to each other, and see the difference in playing three v three. What what do you have? Which players are are much better in the in the smaller one or whatever rec- um, uh, focusing you gave to the coaches? But just showing a same drill, you can do that in every level, but where distances were a little bit the the only difference uh, that that is one, and the other thing uh, is. That um, what what we are trying to 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 give and, and Terry is saying the the part of the foot. I'm my first look is pass and move. Which player pass the ball and with the passing he already starts moving to follow the ball to open up himself in another space. You know that's something what I, I learned and and the last thing. Uh, what i think is 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 very important in 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 our drills in general i like always intensity that's one and intensity creates a lot of mobility you know always players alike that are in movement that are run, running not on running that are moving all over the space um that that i think that is a difference as he said players here are watching or i call it reacting a lot to the next situation and the last thing I think what is based in Holland, we, we try to create players that have an ID. I think it is not only having an ID, but you must try to teach confidence in the game. I mean, what we like to do, you can say this is a bad pass, we in Holland, we say that it is a bad pass, but also we tell him then, how can you do a better pass? So we explain a little bit that it is not a critical point to say that it is not good, but give them already a, a, a better solution to solve the, the the negative quality or the weakness. But it's more that we try to, to give them confidence as well to to give a lot of compliments. you know. Here, a compliment is probably, at the end of the game, a good result. A win is already a compliment, but you don't give it to players individually, I think, too much. And if I see the improvement of the confidence, mainly from the weaker players in the camp, I think that is huge.
0: So, one thing that uh, I want to touch on, I think is very important, Is the value of small-sided games. And my upbringing here, and most American players can attest to this, is you always had tons of space to play, always empty parks, and we never maximized the value of small-sided games. And I think it's becoming more prevalent, but how do how does that factor into when you create activities with the, the Dutch Touch Camp or just in general, getting players involved to one promote confidence not make them afraid to make mistakes give them repetition um what is the value of that in terms of bringing the dutch fish into an american player who's afraid to make a bad pass who's afraid to make a mistake do you think the small side of games increase their confidence or or, or what
1: i think it can increase the confidence but my only my only uh, issue is um, in what situation and, and again here you have tournaments 3v3, you have nationals 3v3 and then you come a little bit to what Holland makes uh, the, the small-sided game uh, a little bit more famous, we started long time ago 4v4 yes, as one of the main things that they were saying and I was part of that, Uh, more touches, this and that, but as well, you need always four players to create width and depth, you know? If you see here, then the 3v3 tournaments, it is three players playing in a small sided area for whatever way, a lot of tempo, a lot of individual action, but if you bring that down to a little bit more the, the relation with a real game, the force player is lacking, you know? And it goes to a goal where I'm thinking, is that is that specifically then good what works for the game for the player, especially or the individual? And then I have my 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 doubts. I'm I'm reserved, you know. If I look to the 3v3 that we played last week, then we played it with big goals. We played it with a first. Player inside the game, that was the keeper, you know. And then you see so many things. If you just watch as a as a coach or maybe as a father, how is your kid doing? You see so many things, or you can see so many things that his first touch is not. He's coming in a situation that he's shooting on goal, but he maybe not confident. Whatever it is, and and then I'm saying, this is something what helps a player much more maybe than dribbling towards a goal and do for 15 minutes shooting. You know, I recognise that last week, specifically when I got it somewhere else uh, the week before, that I'm saying 3v3 is not bad, but bring it in a certain connection towards a level or a group of players that everyone, father, parent, coach, but the player himself, will recognise certain things, what is specifically to his game so important.
2: Interesting you say 3v3 because I remember <clears throat> growing up back in the day, the triangles was the was the whole focus of soccer. we always had to maintain triangles, and now it's gotten to be a diamond because it, a diamond is two triangles, actually, you know, uh, butted up together. Uh, i got a bu- couple of points here. One, I think, John, 4v4 is great for a lot of reasons, but it can also, can also be a detriment because one of the big, big... Uh, fallacies are faults. Faults is better. One of the biggest faults of American coaches is we overcoach. And if you've got 4v4 going on, just think of how many moments there are to coach. My brother Tom has an organization I mentioned previously, New Dimensions, and they have a league called the Watermelon League, and it's a 4v4 league. And it's watermelon because at the end of the game in the summer, they all get a slice of watermelon. That's why it's watermelon. But he has, he has rules for the league, and one of the rules are no coaching, no involvement from the sideline. Don't keep score. Kids can keep their own score. It doesn't really matter. No standings. Just go play. Just go play. The, and the, the beauty of four. The, the beauty of four v four, as John said, you get width and depth. You get the you get this, the shape. I have uh, diagrams that I that I've created where you can start with four v four, and four v four can become the shape that takes you all the way up the the ranks to almost to eleven v eleven. Definitely through nine v nine. And that's another issue that I have is that in the States, uh, we skip so many of the developmental stages and by skipping the stages, you skip some of the learning that needs to go on. So if you start with 4v4, you got, you got your your point man high and low and you got your wide player. So you got width and depth, right? If you go to five then you put a guy in the middle of that, now you got, you got a midfielder. If you had six, you can flank six with with a goalkeeper. So it's five and a goalkeeper. That's the first time you have a goalkeeper. Then you add on, then you add wingers, then you add backs, and then you add lines. You know, as you build up to seven and eight and nine, now you got three lines. But always you're going to be in some shape of that four. It's always going to remember, resemble some shape of that four. So that, that's a learning point that we skip. We miss it, right? But we have too many people that are, that are nitpicking over all the little things. In Holland, they, they'd love to see kids games that end 10 to nine. They don't care because 10 to nine, guess what, 19 goals are scored. A lot of kids are happy, they're playing the game, they're enjoying it, they're having fun, and, and life goes on, right? And they probably started that game with no goalies, probably 4v4, no goalies, and go score. I've had uh, training sessions with my kids at, at camp. So my incoming kids coming into school, uh, they come from some of the local clubs, and we play 4v4 or 6v6 to goalkeepers. And after about five minutes, I tell the goalies, go take a break, because nobody's ever taking a shot on goal, they don't shoot. Our kids are programmed almost not to shoot anymore. So I take the goalies out and I go, hey, what are these two things up here? They're goals. What are they there for? You're supposed to shoot it. Or you're supposed to score. It. That's the game, right? So I asked the kids, you know, what's the first thing you should do when you get the ball? Oh, find a teammate to pass to. Well, maybe. What's the, what's the most important thing in the game? Well, scoring goals, right? So do you think when you get the ball, you might have a chance to score? How you going to know? Take a look. So I said, that pass that you want to make, that's your third option. That's not your first option. So reconsider that, always look first to the goal. And 4v4 always puts you in a position where you can be looking to a goal. Small-sided games in general, right? You've always got some objective because there's gotta be an aim in your, in your play. You gotta be playing for some reason or purpose. That's some kind of, we call that a goal. It can be a lot of different things. Belgium now has adapted a new policy They're playing 2v2. They just think that uh, at at the youngest ages, there is really no, the only skill they have is running with the ball and and dribbling and kicking it. So they're playing 2v2 to to build up, to build up to to more stuff. So it's always like, what's what's the starting point? What's the progression? You just can't jump into deep water until you know how to swim.